0: Thank you for listening to a message from the Oak Haven Church. The following sermon was recorded during our Sunday morning worship service. We hope that this message will be helpful to you and encourage you to explore the Word of God. And now, this week's message. Thank you, Tanya. Thanks, everyone, for being here. It's a beautiful spring day. And, uh, and speaking of spring, since Easter, we have been talking about how Jesus' resurrection changes the way we look at things, changes our perspective of everything. And that that perspective is linked to the promise of He rose from the dead, He's ascended, and He's promised that He will return. So, uh, Paul talks about Jesus' return as something that we focus on and derive our perspective from. uh, Dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. And he goes on. And so both the victory of Jesus' resurrection, his victory over death, and the promise of his return are anchors in our frame of reference in how we look at life and how there is more than just right here. Just right here is great and it's good when God makes it in in Genesis. He says everything he's made is not just good but very good. But there is another eternity That is uh, that is woven into now and later, not to be confused with those those candies you used to buy the big boxes of at the movie house. Did I just call it a movie house? Holy cow! So the promise of Jesus' return. You know, we can be we can be too focused on that, right? We can try and put together formulas. We talked last time uh, about the uh, the Judgment Day and May twenty first, two thousand eleven where there was a large group, uh, a a pretty large group of Christians thought that they had solved the code, and Jesus was coming back today, May 21st. What if they were just 12 years off? What if he comes back today? No, he didn't, and so they changed the date to October the 21st. And then he didn't, he still didn't come back. And so, well, that was awkward, uh, and, and ultimately, what, what Matthew, what Jesus says, and other places in Scripture, no one knows the day or the hour, and Peter addresses this skepticism that was naturally uh, seen in our culture based on those billboards that told you the day it was going to end, and it didn't. Peter addresses that and says, you must not forget one thing. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. He isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. So the 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 lesson is to be ready at all times, because you can't tell the time. And the reason he's waiting... Is that the longer he waits, the more people respond to Jesus' offer of life, and the more people are saved and, and get to live forever? So, as selfish as it is for me to wish he comes before we have to do the dishes after lunch today, it's better for everyone that he wait and give others a chance. So, and Jesus teaches many parables about being ready. We looked at one last week of the faithful steward who, who, who the, the, the uh, landowner comes back and finds his servant doing his job rather than using everything for a party. So Jesus uh, urges us over and over to be ready for his return and that we don't know when it is. So the only way to be ready at the right time is to be ready all the time. So before we go any further, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the promise of your return. We thank you for the truth of your resurrection. We thank you for the powerful image of you ascending into heaven, body and soul. Bless us as we contemplate that and and the meaning that has in our lives now. Thank you for your spirit. I pray for you spirits to bless us all, to descend on each one of us, to pour out your gift of teaching and preaching on me. And to open all of our hearts and our ears and our eyes to your love for us. You know where each one of us is on our journey with you right now. And I pray that that each one of us would would have a sense of the next step you're calling us to in our lives in this time. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke ends. uh, Luke ends. the, The chapter has Jesus' resurrection. Then remember the guy's on their way to Emmaus and Jesus meets them and they have that encounter. Then they, they all, then they go back to Jerusalem and are telling all the apostles and lo and behold Jesus shows up on that conversation. So that's all happened in Luke 24 before we get to today's text. Um, and uh, I won't read the whole thing but uh, thus it is written. That the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So there's a commonality, if you think about, you remember how Matthew ends the gospel? Well, how Jesus ends the gospel of Matthew. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I tell you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of time, the end of the age, the promise of his presence and his commissioning to go and tell people about me. Similarly, this this is how uh, Luke is ending, that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And... um, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So, as we've been talking about in class, the Spirit is given to empower these things. It's not just you guys go do this, it's we're going to do this together. I'm commissioning you, but I'm going to power you. Behold, I am with you always. So it's, it's a partnership, not, not just us. So Je- Jesus leads them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blesses them. While he's blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. The end. Or is it? Because Luke is the one who writes the Gospel of Luke, but he also writes the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. They're actually seen as a single work, Luke-Acts, until the technology comes along called Codex, which is a book stacked together. Until it scrolls, Luke and Acts are scrolled together. But now that they're stacked, the four Gospels get put together, and so Acts is is inserted after John. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So, But Luke is the composer, the writer, the author of the Gospel and the book of Acts. And like any good sequel, I just want to point out that Jesus is carried up into heaven and they worship Him. Let's hold on to that image, okay? Because like any good, uh, any good sequel, Luke starts, the book of acts with previously on uh, Jacob and I just watched the the last season of Picard and at the at the start of each episode there was a previously on Star Trek Picard and it got to be so monotonous we would fast forward through it but actually it was helpful for me sometimes so we're familiar with that phrase and with that device, a quick summary of what happened so that you understand more fully what's about to happen. So what's about to happen has as much meaning as possible. And so, and so uh, here's Luke writing to Theophilus, his sponsor or a patron, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. Remember, the, the parallel to go make disciples, the repentance and forgiveness are to be preached to all nations. And so he's given that order through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. After his suffering, he, pre- after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. And we talked about this earlier in terms of he shows himself to the apostles. There's the famous incident with Doubting Thomas who gets to see him finally. There's a mention of him appearing to a group of 500 people or more and others. And so there are, there are, many, there are many resurrected Jesus sightings appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So 40, 40 kind of raises a red, a red flag for us because the number 40 has appeared numerous times in the scriptures, right? You can start ticking them off in, in your thinking. Um, Moses lives life in three 40-year periods. He lives for 40 years as an Egyptian prince. He is exiled and lives as a shepherd for 40 years, and then he shepherds the people of God taken from Egypt for 40 years. Then, 40 years in the wilderness is a time of cleansing, of preparation, just as it was for Moses in that middle 40 years. And then, of course, Jesus spends 40 days being confronted by the accuser at the beginning of the Gospels. Uh, that's in, um, in Luke 4, uh, includes that. And so here at the end of 40 days of Jesus uh, appearing and proving his victory is kind of the the other side of the coin from the accuser testing him. Here at the end, Jesus has passed the test. He has remained faithful to the plan to the very end and gone into suffering and death and come out the other side, the victor, the, the resurrected king of the universe. And so this 40-day this uh, period carries with it all that resonance of preparation, of cleansing, of transition to the next stage, especially, uh, as, well, transition to the next stage is something that the 40 ha- shows time and again, and so as the ascended king of, of the universe, um. Jesus is, is going to uh, um, continue to empower His, his disciples, his, his spokespeople, with His Spirit. Um, uh, this, He said, is what you have heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. Um, and let's look at what Isaiah has to say about that. Uh, We're going to hear from Isaiah a few times, and this is how he's going to look. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever, the delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks, till the Spirit is poured on us from on high." and the desert becomes a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest the lord's justice will dwell in the desert his righteousness live in the fertile field the fruit of the righteousness will be the the fruit of that righteousness will be peace its effect will be quietness and confidence forever my people will live in peaceful dwelling places in secure homes in undisturbed places of rest so there's a picture of barrenness, of great need but then the abundance, the spirit is poured out from on high the desert becomes fertile and the people live lives of abundance, of peace and goodness because that pivotal moment of the pouring out of the spirit, Isaiah is pointing to what happens on Pentecost, what Jesus is promising right now um so, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time what you will restore the kingdom of Israel? And this is more than just gaining independence from Rome. Uh, the, t- the, the twelve tribes of Israel had been split centuries ago. This is bringing the ten northern tribes back to the two southern to reframe and regain the twelve tribes, a gathering of the exiled, a gathering of the dispersed. This is restoring the house of David and restoring the temple to its central place. This is this is probably being written after the temple is destroyed in A.D. 70, and so this restoration carries with a restoration of the temple to those who are reading it. The, the, to recreate this... This god-centric life, the, the fancy word is theocracy, this, this place where God is at the center of everything, religion, culture, uh, every part of every part of life, versus this compartmentalized, this is my Jewishness, and this is my civic role as, as a citizen of Rome or someone who's under Rome's thumb. So as we think about our identity our identity and who we are, we're in a similar place, whether we are in a God-centric, uh, every part of our lives and frame of reference, or if we're compartmentalized as well. And so the coming of the Spirit brings us together and makes it possible for us to, to be renewed and refreshed constantly, like uh, the people talked about in Isaiah. Um Let's go on with 8 through 10. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Um, and, And Jesus is sending that Spirit, and He tells us in the book of John, He has to go. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. Now, I've joked before about Jesus and the Holy Spirit being like... Clark Kent and Superman that they aren't ever in the same place at once but I think there's more to it than that Um, I I don't mean to to make light of it Um, I I think it's it's Jesus act of authority and power as he is enthroned as king over the universe that his first official act as king of the universe is to send his spirit to us to to give us the, the fulfillment of everything that Isaiah and everyone else has talked about that in his power that he did his place of authority wasn't there until after he had um, given himself up in in service to the mission um, let's uh, let's just um, go to the Kenosis hymn in Philippians. Because this, this talks about Jesus humbling himself. He, he sets aside his godhood. He becomes a human and becomes uh, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. And, and I submit that God's high exaltation of Jesus is this moment, his ascension into heaven. And so, therefore, God exalted him even more highly and gave him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, covers all existence there, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So because of Jesus seeing the plan through to the end, God exalts him and places him in the highest place, gives him the highest name, which isn't Jesus. That's a common name at that time. Gives him the name of Lord. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, as Paul describes it in in Ephesians 4 that we looked at in class. So people's spidey sense are tingling if they're Hebrews and they know their Old Testament because... Somebody else has done this before, kind of. Remember his name? Elijah. And so while he was going, they were gazing up towards heaven. Suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. There's a flashback to anybody who knows the story to Second Kings 2. Let's look at this real quick. When they had crossed the Jordan, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Now, there's, a, there's a, a miracle that just happened. They crossed the Jordan because Elijah touched the water with his cloak, and the water parted like the Red Sea when Moses lifted up his staff. And so Elijah and Elisha have just passed through the River Jordan on dry land. So Elijah asks his, uh, his protege, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, and this is why this story is so important, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Elijah responded, you've asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it'll be granted. If not, too bad. I'm sorry, if not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and could see what was happening, and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And so, uh, and, and so that, that picture really quickly of that, the important part of that uh, story is how the double portion of spirit is, is given to the one left behind. And so just, just as Jesus has gone uh, into heaven, uh, his spirit has been placed upon us as he is left behind. And so, um, and so the, the account makes clear we understand uh, that he is, as we've talked about in previous weeks, we won't go back to Jesus coming back the way he left, but he will. And uh, he will come in the same way as we saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath-day journey away. And it's about a half mile. That's how much you're allowed to walk on, uh, walk on the Sabbath. But it's outside Jerusalem, and it seems like, a, okay, so they went home. But then when you look at the, at the bigger picture, if you see that Luke begins and ends his gospel at the Jewish world center in Jerusalem how how did how did the action start at the beginning of Luke with our buddy Zechariah in the temple having his exchange with the angel Gabriel in Jerusalem and now the story is ending in Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke, in the book of Acts, it's beginning in Jerusalem as they're all gathered together, and it ends where? We, we just studied the book of Acts in study time for a few months, and it ends in Rome. And so this story, this story of the Jewish Messiah has traveled all the way to the capital of the known world at the time. Just as Isaiah promises, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, there is no other. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. This is the working out of the Abrah Plan. Remember, when when Yahweh promises Avram, promises Abram, uh, follow me, and I will make you a great nation. And from your lineage, all nations will be blessed. That's all the way back in Genesis 12, and it's happening right here. In the book of Acts, as the, uh, as the story is catapulted into the ends of the earth. In the meantime, Jesus is enthroned in glory where he reigns. How, how does it go? He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. Recently, there was the coronation of King Charles in England. All the pomp and the circumstance and the jewels and the furs and all the ostentatious pomp and circumstance. The story of Jesus' coronation is simple and not nearly as grandiose but far more so on the levels that really matter. As this, as this unique in all time person who humbled himself to, to, to have a, a feeding trough be his, his cradle, who, who must, I, I, I want to know what Jesus hollered when he hit his thumb with a hammer because you know it happened. You know it happened, but lived a humble life and, and called to himself humble people, fishermen, who didn't understand over and over. He was patient and merciful and gracious and, and then submitted himself, even though he could have called 10,000 angels, as the old song says, submitted himself to being murdered by the people who ca- he came to save. But because of that faithfulness and humility, God has exalted him to his right hand. Read Revelation 4 and 5 and the glorious scenes of of worship in the throne room of God and catch a glimpse of who Jesus is. He is the victorious king vindicated by his resurrection and proven by His presence among the disciples and among us now by the power of His Spirit. He is now exalted to the highest place in the universe and sends His power among us so that we can tell the story, the story that is humble and victorious, that, that is simple and grandiose at the same time, that we get to be a part of, Not only is He ascended on high in power, not only did He pour His Spirit out on the apostles and the disciples on that Pentecost day, that Spirit is alive and well in us, in you. It doesn't have to look like you're floating on the clouds for the Spirit of God to be empowering, enabling, and using you. He calls us. He calls us to be open to His Spirit. He calls us to testify to His goodness. He calls us to to walk in His ways and to be ready. We we return to to that refrain. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. But His kingdom will have no end. And we get to be in it because of how much He loves each and every one of us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and care. We thank you for the, the, the provision you have made for our making so many mistakes and having so many excuses for not following you, but, but you instead refresh our spirits with yours, remind us that we are made in your image, and give us a second chance for the millionth time to walk hand in hand with you. Bless us as we, seek to, as we seek to testify to your Lordship with how we live, along with the words that we speak. And as we begin to, uh, to, to feast together in the glories of spring, we thank you for the food we're about to, uh, to receive and for the hands that prepared it. Bless our fellowship with your spirit to be an encouragement and strength to each other. and the the food to be a strength and blessing to our bodies. Thank you for your presence. Hear our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Oak Haven Church. We are located at 2175 Whitzel Avenue in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. To hear previous podcasts, visit our website at oakhavenchurch.net.